Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Shout out to the women who are free, who have been inside, and to all the women who are inside who still need to be free. I'm Patty Simone, and I'm the executive director of the Innocence Project, and uh, happy to be here to talk about the really the advances that have been made for women who are locked up, who are absolutely innocent of the crimes that they were accused of committing. I think historically, over the last 25 years, we've seen an increasing number of women able to prove their innocence. In the early days of the innocence work, DNA was the major tool that was used in the Innocence Project to prove many convictions wrong and to free many innocent people. But that tool was often not available to women. As more and more courts and more and more prosecuting attorneys have understood that innocent people are inside, giving women an opportunity to make their, their cases. But I want you to know the night that we 
And ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we take a special moment to address the women of, of, of basically incarcerated women of America. And what does that mean? It means that our mothers are being taken from the home and put in prison cells. What is, who, is the, who is affected by that? are the children of America. We talk about fathers and their role in the home and the impact on children. Tonight, AJC Radio takes a trip and we take a look at the women of America. Done a serious head blow, if you will, by the justice system, many times that is basically unrecoverable. Tonight, we take a trip basically talking about one thing, America's mothers being taken from the home to the prison. Folks, hang on to your seats. AJC Radio kicks off right now. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Lamont Banks, I, and I'm uh, joined with, I'm tongue-tied here momentarily, joined with me, joining me tonight is Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt, the entire AJC Radio team, and uh, we've been away for a, a couple of weeks, and uh, tonight we're back, we're excited uh, to be back and uh, folks, how you how you doing this evening, Lisa? Doing pretty good, Lamont. How you feeling today? Uh, we're doing pretty good. A little, folks. If you hear my voice, a little raspy, a little under the weather tonight, uh, but we're working through it. Cliff, how are you tonight? Oh yeah, doing great. Ready to get back in the saddle. Okay, and we've arrived there, Dennis. How you doing? Hey, doing awesome, and it's good to have you guys back. Okay, and folks, I'll tell you what. The temperature is rising on our nation's capital as we were there, uh, Lisa, having an opportunity to. Talk to members on the Hill, staff, staff members on the Hill about the injustice of the attack and target of a local church here, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, Pastor Rose Banks, uh, and its members being the target, if you will, of corrupt practices, Lisa, by the judicial process here in the Tenth Circuit, by Judge Christine Arguello, uh, as well as the prosecutor, Matthew Kirsch. Uh, also, the, the main uh, prosecutor, of course, uh, Matthew Kirsch's boss, John Walsh. Yes. And I'll tell you what, our position is, is very clear, is that when you begin to target churches, the actual foundation on which this country was built, for your uh, selfish motives to do to these six men what our justice system has done, it is time and high time that the judicial member, judiciary members of Congress take a look and stand up to these types of corruptions, Lisa. Your thoughts on that? Well, Lamont, I think you're absolutely right. I think people have the people have got to start taking a stand. They've got to start making a difference. They've got to start doing their part to make sure that things are going the way they're supposed to. Our country's gotten way off track. Our judicial system has fallen into a, a dead sleeping coma, and it needs to be just need to go ahead, pull the plug, and start over, and get moving on something that's going to work. No, absolutely, and. Uh, it's very important, ladies and gentlemen, that we deal with those issues, uh, and we're going to deal with that. The RP6, who are they? David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker, six men, patriots of America, that sit and languish in prison now, going on four years for acts of criminal behavior, not conduct unbecoming, crimes committed by Judge Christine Arguello, committed by Matthew Kirsch and actually being having the tool to enable this type of behavior, uh, John Walsh, uh, who is supposed to be this example of justice, 
that's the biggest joke of the day. John Walsh is not about justice. He is about injustice, and that, that is the proof, if you will, is in the pudding uh, with the RP6 uh, who are in prison now fighting as we will continue to fight for their release from this miscarriage of justice. Lisa, a disclaimer for the people. Yes, we just like to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide any legal advice. You want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend a little bit of your evening with us. And thank you for that. Cliff, let's talk a little bit more about the target of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, Pastor Rose Banks. Uh, being the target of this investigation and this outrageous act by the prosecutor to use the church as a pawn uh, to to basically attack this church who is above reproach uh, when it comes to all of their practices uh, and and is is led out with a true leader in Pastor Rose Banks to be a target by 71 years of age after being a pillar in this community for 35 years and to be attacked and still no wrongdoing found Talk to the people, Cliff, your position on this type of nonsense. Well, it just shows the entire, um, you know, again, just the, just the, the corruption of the, of the entire office in the temp circuit from, uh, you know, the U.S. Attorney Walsh all the way down to the court reporter. It is um, – it, it just – it kind of leaves you speechless, and I know when we were there talking to members uh, of Congress and their staff, that when you tell them about this, they're like oh, – Please tell us that this didn't happen. That is how sickening yep. it is. And we're not talking about going there. Anybody who's ever dealt with Congress, if you ever have to, you know you're not just coming there with conjecture. Sure. You're not just going in saying, well, this is what we think. This is our opinion. You have to have facts. You have to back it up. You have to have showings. And when we showed them the facts about what, what happened to Colorado Springs Fellowship from John Walsh's office up in Denver, they are appalled. They are uh, frustrated, infuriated, everything to say this type of thing cannot be allowed to go on. When you, just like you said, Lamar, when you come after a church, that is that is the the glue for the entire community. When you cannot go in, when you can't go to your police, when you can't go to your fire department, when things happen and there's nobody else you feel you can turn to, when you can't even go to your family uh, by blood, you always know a person always knows that the place they can go. It's to their church to say, hey, uh, if I'm looking for some type of moral support, this is where I can go. And for the U.S. Attorney's Office to attack that, you're talking about immorality at its, at its worst point, and it has to be dealt with. No, without question, and uh, not to leave out Lawana Clark, uh, another victim of this injustice, the daughter of Pastor Rose Banks, uh, never uh, a ticket, uh, probably other than a speeding ticket, uh, <coughs> excuse me other than a speed ticket, if, if that, uh, to be dragged into to federal prison for six months for a so-called one count of perjury, which was not perjury, and we were able to address that issue, uh, and we were, we were honored to have Lawana Clark Lisa uh, uh, on that trip to share her story with the members on the Hill. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, it was, it was, it was gut-wrenching and heart-wrenching. Uh, the response, Lisa, you remember some of those moments Uh, Tell our listeners a little bit about the first encounter we had with the young lady, I I believe, was brought to tears. Yes, it was just, I mean, as she shared her story and what she had gone through and what her mother's gone through as a result of all that's going on, uh, she was just, she was so concerned. I mean, she she asked, you know, what are they going to do? Are they waiting to do this to the rest of her children? Are they going to try to take all of her children and put them in jail? 
And it was, I mean, it was very sad to hear and it was hard to listen to, but it was, I think it was very necessary. I think it needs to be known. It needs to be heard. Somebody's got to tell what happened. No, without question. And uh, AJC Radio and the Just Cause will continue to seek answers uh, in this this bizarre cliff. We talked to one of the members' uh, legal counsel, and his words, I'm telling you, every person we talked to on the Hill were shaking their heads. And the guy uh, said to us, this story gets more and more bizarre. He said, I have been in Congress on the Hill, and I've heard a lot of bizarre things. He said, this takes the cake. Yes. And, and, and again, this is not just us going there saying, hey, you know, uh, John Doe, th- this is what we think about what's going on. These are people, and the, the uh, young man you're talking about, he has looked into the IRP6 case. He has done uh, his, his research and gotten to the background of it. Uh, you know, he said he takes the train when he goes to work uh, every day to come to Capitol Hill. He sits on the train and reads the court documentation about this case and said this is the most bizarre case as far as the things that the judge did and the prosecutor did. He's like, this is not upholding the law. This is not the creed for uh, a, uh, a prosecutor because the, the prosecutor's creed is supposed to be to uphold justice. This is not the creed for a judge who's supposed to play referee and ensure that evidence from both sides is presented properly and that justice is upheld. That it's not what we've seen in our research as a just cause, and it's not what uh, what members up on Capitol Hill are seeing either. When you have people say, I'm a legal counsel, I've been doing this for a decade, uh, I know what I'm looking at when I'm looking at court documentation, and for them to say this is against the law, this, this is the type of thing that we are put in place for to ensure that justice is upheld, that's why that is why it's getting attention up there. Oh, no, absolutely, Dennis. That's why no one should be above the law. I'm telling you, it's just ridiculous. Uh, I, I know uh, a little bit about the story, you know, of the RP six, and I tell you, I've never heard of anything in my life where we could take the lives of these innocent men who was trying to do something for this country and turn it around and make it evil. I tell you. Uh, we, we, judicial and uh, prosecutorial uh, misconduct has to cease. Somebody right. has to pay the price. Somebody has to, you know, be able to make sure that something like this does not happen again. How do we do that? We hold people accountable. Until then, we just got to keep on fighting until something happens. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Senator Grassley uh, made it very clear to us, Lisa, on our last trip to D.C., uh, that the uh, purpose of the Judiciary uh, Committee uh, in Congress is one thing, to administer justice That's right. and to enforce the law. And it doesn't matter whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, whether you're man, woman, whatever. We will uphold the Constitution of the United States. And, Lisa, I can guarantee you, based upon that conversation that we had with him, he was clear and absolutely direct to the point on that issue. And yes, by him was. being a, the chair of the Judiciary Committee uh, on the Senate side, uh, I, I, I'm going to take his word for that he meant what he said. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it's obvious that he meant every word that he said. And so we're dealing with so many people that are fighting for, that are fighting for justice alongside of us. You have people that, can, are, that are limited, can, that can only do so much. And you have people like the, the congressmen and senators that sit up on Capitol Hill that can actually put legislation in place and fight for it and do and make differences that will be put on the books as law and change things from where they are to the way that they should be. So I think it's good that we have 
people like Senator Grassley and some of the others that we met with that are really fighting alongside of us for the, for the best thing for this country. No, absolutely. And folks, we're going to ask you to go out to change.org, search IRP6, and sign the petition as we continue to ask the President, uh, President Barack Obama, to release these men uh, immediately. That there are, I made this statement to one of the members on the Hill. I said, there are so many red flags in this case, you could actually, uh, actually create a quilt from the red flags in this case. And I'll go a, little, I'll go a step further. There are so many flags. Uh, you know what a red flag warning is uh, here in Colorado, and that's when fire, uh, the threat of fire and destruction is in, its, is in its path. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, injustice is definitely a, a explosion of destruction in this country. We need to be aware, just as you take precautions in a red flag warning, uh, because there's a fire, whatever's going on, America needs to take warning and to take cover and begin to expose the corruption within our judicial system. If you think this system is perfect, I can tell you we have, we, you should be far beyond that way of thinking, given what we have seen in this country when it comes to justice. It is, uh, t- I said it before, I'll say it again. Lady Justice has gone missing, and we need to find her. Because I'll tell you what, somebody's kidnapped her and put her in a closet so she couldn't administer justice. It is our duty and our purpose here on AJC Radio and the Just Cause to find her and to rescue her from that type of uh, situation. So, folks, again, go out to change.org. Uh, please uh, sign the petition. Tell your friends if you've got a Facebook account, a Twitter account. Go out there tonight and sign the petition. There's a video out there. Uh, that speaks to a lot of the injustice that people are left scratching their heads. I believe the people on the Hill are left scratching their heads, every person, every person. And I can say that without fear of contradiction. Every person we talk to has a problem with what has happened to the IRRP6. And uh, we'll be discussing that a little later at the uh, last segment of the program tonight on what you didn't know about the IRP6. We will be continuing this discussion uh, on a special edition of What You Didn't Know. Uh, a little uh, current events right now. Uh, Cliff, we heard tragically a week ago, I believe it's been, um, uh, that Will Smith, former New Orleans Saints uh, uh, defensive player, was shot and killed um, by a driver. Uh, I've done a little research on, on who this man is, uh, and it sounds to me uh, that Mr. Hayes, the gentleman, uh, of course, who shot Will Smith, these are some of the facts on the cl- on the case. Uh, eight number eight. The number eight is the number of times Will Smith was shot, seven times in the back, and wow. once in the side. The medical examiner said. Now, initial reports stated that he was shot Will Smith in self defense, not seven times in the back because he's walking away. So that's not the case. Yeah, self defense is not. Uh, no more is is self is shooting somebody in the back self defense. If it's a police officer shooting somebody in the back... It's a justified homicide. homicide. Yeah, I mean, it's just not justifiable. If somebody is running from you and you're shooting them, that is not self-defense. And I understand that uh, that the guy who killed Will Smith was saying that, you know, he was... He was implementing his right to the stand my ground law. To stand your ground is to stand your ground when someone is coming after you. You shoot a person seven times in the back, that there is is no... uh, Recreation of that crime scene that says that you're being attacked with some when you shoot somebody seven times in the back. How, how do you justify that? And it goes further: uh, accidents or near accidents that Smith slammed on his brakes 
to avoid hitting the orange Hummer, uh, the Smith family lawyer said. The Hummer rear-ended Smith's vehicle a brief time later, causing it to bump the Impala. Smith and Hayes exchanged words after the second incident, and that's when the gunfire broke out. A number of times Smith's wife was shot was twice, uh, once in each leg. Again, self-defense, I don't think so. Um, This is uncomprehendable to me, and it sounds to me of a moment of rage or jealousy. There's history on Mr. Hayes not being able to make it in the NFL. Was playing actually on a minor league uh, football team there in uh, New Orleans. Uh, so, and I, I did read somewhere as well that other players in the National Football League that actually had some minor roles in movies actually had encountered Hayes' temper uh, at times and his behavior and his rash behavior uh, at times. But again, just, you know what, you ought to be able to walk into a court of law and say, I was shot seven times in the back. Uh, go ahead and put the cuffs and, and, and do sentencing immediately exactly. uh, because there's no defense for that. There is absolutely none. You don't shoot a person in the back and then claim self-defense. I mean, it, it, it just, that does not work. And if, uh, if the law upholds that as self-defense or stand my ground, then there's a serious issue with, uh, with that law. I, I think that stand my ground law should, be, should only be allowed in very extreme cases. I mean, if somebody else has a gun and they're trying to shoot you, stand your ground and shoot back. But you say, okay, there's a man running from me or in the, in the, uh, in the, um, you know, in the other case with, with Zimmerman, with Trayvon Martin, right. how do you say that that's stand my ground? You pick a fight with somebody, and then when you're getting beat, you shoot them, and you kill them. That is not stand my ground. Stand my ground, ladies and gentlemen, was made in the initial where there is initially where someone walks in your front door in a, in a position to kill you, to threaten you. You're sitting on your couch watching, uh, what's the new movie, uh, Law & Order. Uh, one TV show, you'll sit on your couch watching Law and Order, Criminal Minds, whatever you want to watch. Somebody walks through your front door on a summer afternoon, you got the door open, and they commence on trying to hurt you. or to That is stand my ground because exactly. it's you or me, and that's, that's the purpose of the law. And killers, murderers, have basically abused it in order to get away and have a license to kill. That's true. Uh, unacceptable. Ladies and gentlemen, coming back uh, from the other side of this break, we're going to be joined with Christine Bunch, uh, one of the ladies who was wrongfully convicted. uh, And basically on June 30th, 1995, a house fire claimed the life of a three-year-old Anthony Bunch, her son. Uh, Christine was accused of intentionally starting the fire. Uh, We're going to get into all those numbers. She was innocent and, uh, again, took this woman away from her family. At the same time, wanted her to grieve the death of her son. We're going to get into that. We're going to be joined also by Dr. Eric Mason, uh, he is the president and CEO of Prison Reform. Uh, I had an opportunity to talk with him last night, an outstanding gentleman working to make a difference as we get and continue to attack the criminal justice system of America. But tonight, our focus on the young ladies and the women, the mothers. As a Mother's Day actually approaches some weeks away, the, the criminal justice system putting a serious problem in the family structure, and they must, they must answer and be accountable for that. We're coming right back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio bringing the message of justice all around the world. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or 
at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitudes towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio coming to you live from Colorado Springs, Colorado. The temperature tonight is 46 degrees right now, cloudy skies. But I'll tell you, our Los Angeles listeners in California, 87 degrees and sunny. Our listeners in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., 83 clouds and sunshine. And in New York City, the site of the primary uh, tonight, 71 degrees and sunny. And you are, we are delighted to have all of our listeners all around the United States and around the world, our friends in the U.K. and Australia. We appreciate you joining in to the program tonight. And tonight we deal with a very serious topic. And, uh, again, we've been talking for some weeks now about the collateral damage of the children, if you will, who suffer at the hand of parents being incarcerated. Tonight we take a very special look at the mothers, the women, leaving their children in a situation where you have one or two places you're going to end up, and a mother's a different thing, Lisa, and you are a mother, of course, and uh, I'll tell you, that bond with the mother being taken from their child and going to prison 
many times for situations that are not even to the point they should even be locked up, the same as the men. What impact, Lisa, do we have on the children? It's one thing to lose your father, and that is horrific. It's horrible. But when a mother is taken from a child, there's two places she may end up. Number one, foster care, especially the country, the rate of single parents in America, the number of single parents and single moms that are trying to fight and to make it. You take that mother from the home through this bogus system that we call justice, the impact on a child's life, Lisa, your thoughts as a mother yourself. Yeah, I think it's I think it's horrendous. I think it's awful. I think that the people who are put, taking these women and putting them in prison need to consider the effect of what they're doing. They need to con- consider what's going to happen to these children. Especially when you, I mean, if you've got a situation with someone, if there's a, any way around taking a mother or a father for that matter, but tonight we're talking about mothers, but if there's any way to get around taking a mother from her home and her children, they should be looking for that way to do it around that. Because I can't imagine a child whose mother's taken away from them and they're having to deal with sometimes dad's there, sometimes he's not. But having to live without your mother, it's a very difficult thing. Your mother is the one who takes care of you 90% of the time. You've got right. those, those few rare, rare instances where uh, you don't have mothers that are not good mothers that don't take care of the children. But for the most part, a mother is going to be bonded with her kids. She's going to feel the need to be there for them and to take care of them. And when you pull those children away from that or pull the mother away from her children in that kind of situation, you've got children that are left. I mean, you're going to have kids that are getting into trouble, getting into all bad, th- all kinds of bad things that they may not have gotten into had their mother been there with them. I mean, you have to, to con- they need to consider all the issues that they're creating when they do this to these families and pull mothers out of their homes. No, absolutely, and we're going to address that issue. Uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, this is something that's critically important, and I think sometimes we don't deal with it as we should, uh, definitely as a country. I mean, you keep running into situations where uh, you're dealing with a criminal justice system that is clearly not doing what needs to be done. And it's time that we, we again, expose this stuff. And we're going to be talking about women, women that were spent 16, 17 years locked up. And we're going to get to all of that. But right now, uh, we're going to get ready to uh, bring on and introduce to you a Dr. Eric Mason uh, doing some things. Uh, and again, I had a wonderful talk with him last night. Uh, and I told him, I said, look, we're dealing with a program tonight that is very, very serious. And uh, I was honored uh, to be uh, to have that conversation with such an extraordinary man doing some things and, and making a difference. And uh, Dr. Mason, are you there? I am. Lamont, how are you doing today? Uh, doing well. And uh, it's so good to have you, uh, Eric, if that's okay, if I can call you Eric. Sure. I've certainly been called worse, and I appreciate <laughs> when I've heard the worst. Well, we appreciate you, Eric. And I, again, telling, the, telling our audience tonight uh, some of the things, I, I, I didn't want to go into any details. I want you to be able to share uh, your story and give some input a little bit of, of your experience and what this topic is about, of course, tonight. Uh, I'd had an opportunity to go to your website uh, and see the extraordinary efforts of fundraising that you've done for, for the cause. Uh, I tell you, I'm impressed. And uh, a person that's doing those things that you're doing, uh, hats off to you, and we salute you here on AJC Radio. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the people, and we'll get into this conversation. All right. Um, and good evening also to Lisa, and I assume Cliff and Dennis are, are there joining you as well. Yes. Um, prison reform and community engagement, as you know, a lot of people uh, are 
don't know the, the difference between prison reform and prison ministry, so I'll just get into that for about a couple of seconds. Um, if you're doing prison ministry, those are faith leaders who are going into those facilities and they are ministering to the spiritual needs of the individuals that are incarcerated. Prison reform goes a little further. Uh, prison reform deals with the advocacy, deals with the uh, trying to dismantle the uh, injustices within the structure of the prison, and that's what prison reform and community engagement does. Historically, uh, the organization for the last 30 years have dealt more on the advocacy side. Uh, now we're trying to deal with uh, the, the effects of what prison has done, so we want to deal more with the education. Now, when it comes to mothers being taken away from their homes, of course the damage is already done after the mothers are taken away. And if the mothers are in prison for anything other than um, uh, violence, then that means the mother shouldn't really even be there. There could be some programs, you know, and counseling or whatever that needs to, uh, that can address whatever the other issues are. Now, if the mothers are in there for violence, then 90% of the time it's probably for some type of domestic violence. Now, here, this is where the system has a breakdown. The domestic violence uh, is not something that's going to take place one time. That's over a period of time. And most of these women are reaching out. Um, if there's domestic violence, there's probably some mental health issues, probably some relationship issues. The school probably is aware, church, friends, everyone is aware. And I think if we're going to be proactive um, in dealing with mothers that are taken away, then we have to address the mental health issues, emergency shelter, transitional housing, uh, education, training, and jobs. If we deal with that, I'm quite sure there will be no mothers probably in the penitentiaries, in the prison system in the United States of America. No, and I so, agree with you that – Oh, sorry, Eric, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. That's okay. And so our organization, we are working to try to, uh, if you notice that a lot of uh, individuals who are incarcerated don't have the high school diploma or GED. Uh, a lot of them dropped out of school early, so they don't even have the, the structured educational structure to pass these state GED tests. But they will, if they're in the classroom long enough and with some help, able to finish their high school diploma. So our organization will be partnered with Penn Foster, uh, which is over 100 years old, into providing a high school diploma for over 1,000 ex-offenders um, so we can try to address the problem, be more proactive, uh, and deal with the educational part of prison reform. Well, and Eric, I think the point you make is it needs to be echoed very, very clearly. We talk about the problems in this country with inner cities, uh, low-income families, uh, the African-American community, to, be, to name to be exact. Uh, and I think the point you make, if we're going to be about it versus talking about it, mm-hmm. we have to invest in these mothers. Like you said, education. Right. Mothers want to go out and go to work and take care of their children. It's a sense of pride in this country. That I'm providing for my family, that I'm doing the – we're not in the 1940s or 50s, 60s, whatever, when mothers basically just stayed at home. Uh, they are wanting to branch out and do things and become career women, and that's what the times we live in these days. My thought is is that with what you're doing, and, I, and again, I applaud what you're doing, but to be proactive, as you stated, 
to educate these mothers, to give them something to look forward to versus, uh, you know, being stuck in a situation where they can't seem to find their way out. And I think, uh, and give me your thoughts on this, Eric. I think the problem is the culture has developed over a period of time that this is what is expected of low-income families, of mothers. That, uh, And we found do- doing some study, and I want your thoughts here, that a lot of mothers that are sent to prison, we have found on some of the cases, if there's an accident, if there's an issue with um, uh, a baby is killed, a youngster, a toddler is killed, why are the mothers the target almost immediately to be pointed as the one who apparently may have done something suspect? And through my research and, and reading it up on this, why would those statistics show that? And why, how is that even possible? Well, we live in a society where we don't have uh, what our parents, where my parents are from the South, uh, so we don't have it where it's this community. Uh, everyone is part of community. If you eat, if we eat, you eat. So we don't have that part of uh, the culture in the United States anymore. So when something happens, we are quick to blame um, the mothers anyway. Uh, it, it, I mean, it could go to the other direction where we're quick to blame the father, depend on, you know, the incident. But I don't think we really care about community anymore. And another thing, these mothers are dealing with domestic violence and other issues all the time. But we only want to address them when it's high-profile issues. Everyone wants to get on board. I believe it was a, a year or two ago when the young mother was had to go to work. She didn't have a babysitter. Uh, she left her kids in the car. Uh, it was hot. And, the uh, you know, which is the opposite of what normally happens in the United States. You know, the, the community rallied around her, raised hundreds of thousands of dollars so that, you know, she can, uh, you know, do what, provide resources for her children. Now, that's not the norm in the United States, but it should be the norm. Absolutely. Because we have these mothers in every community. And, and, and so you're telling me we'd rather spend 40000 50000 in some penitentiaries to keep the mother incarcerated when we can give the mother housing, education, training, which is way less than what it would cost to incarcerate her. Oh, absolutely. Now, uh, uh, Eric, I got some numbers that are absolutely astounding. And I want your thoughts on it. Uh, in a nation where one in three Americans, 70 million to 100 million people, have a criminal record, and roughly mm-hmm. half of all children, between 33 million and 36.5 million, have a parent with a record. Black women yeah. are more likely to go to prison than women of any other racial or ethnic group. In fact, one in 16 African American women. In contrast to one in 111 white women and one in 45 Latina women will see the inside of a prison at some point in their lifetime, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics. When you hear that, this, is, this speaks to the issue of why our, our women cannot get jobs. They have a record. Exactly. And they cannot afford when these incidents happen. And you know you're innocent until proven guilty, but when these incidents happen, they cannot afford uh, to pay legal counsel. So a lot of them end up with public defenders, which in most communities you know how that turned out. And right. so you know the first thing they're trying to do is get the uh, 
these individuals off their caseload. So, you know, it's offer a plea, offer a plea. And the mother's trying to get home to their children, you know, their job, school, whatever they're doing. They will accept the plea not knowing that the long-term effect is no job and, and other things, and in some cases the children taken away. So I commend the state uh, for what they're trying to do. The governor of Kentucky just last week uh, signed the bill. Uh, they passed a law for people who have Class D offenses or lower uh, nonviolent offenses that your record, you can petition the courts automatically for your record to be expunged. Well, we need that needs to be more commonplace in the United States because after a while, we're going to have 90% of the people with criminal records. Oh, absolutely. And, Eric, how barbaric has this country become? Listen to this. In addition, black women are extremely overrepresented in state and federal prison, so much so that their rate of imprisonment is greater than double the rate for white women. While 53 of every 100,000 white women are sentenced to state or federal institutions, black women suffer from an incarceration rate of 109 out of 100,000. This is a problem. Yes, it is. If we're saying that majority of women are incarcerated due to violence uh, that stem from domestic violence, then I'm quite sure there are more uh, ladies who are not of color who are involved in domestic violence situations. But it also says that law enforcement and the criminal justice system handles domestic violence and women of color totally different from the rest of America. Well, and and I think one tragic thing, we have learned to embrace uh, the fact that people make mistakes. You have a huge population of single mothers in this country, and many of them, on this particular statistic, 12,000 pregnant women are locked up every year. 12,000 of pregnant women. Now, Mm -hmm. there was an issue, Lisa, I don't know if you you probably remember this story, Eric, and um, let me tell our listeners, where they were actually shackling women in prison trying to give birth. Shackled. And it says here that the only, uh, 28 out of the 50 states, um, I'm sorry, there are 28 states without laws prohibiting the dangerous practice of shackling pregnant women during childbirth, which places not only the mother at risk, but the innocent child. So if our country and our prisons can do this to the women of America, mm-hmm. they're not going to have any problem locking them up at the rate that they're locking them up, Eric. That's true. And I don't think America cares about shackling a, a pregnant woman to a hospital bed or any other bed uh, if the woman is reaching out prior to all of this because of domestic violence. So, you know, if you don't care uh, prior to the woman being incarcerated, you certainly don't care after she's incarcerated. Wow. Dennis, you had a question. Hey, I, I was just listening, and I, I tell you, uh, what I see is that our justice system is uh it lacks compassion and uh because of that uh, what we're talking about you know uh women being shackled while you know during pregnancy during childbirth and and again what's sad to say until it hits home until it's in hey, your sir. house until until it's in your living room until it's your your mother your your daughter your your sister 
I, I, I tell you, sad to say, uh, America really don't care. But when it happens, when that happens, when the injustice is now at my front door, it's now inside my living room, now I'm an advocate. Now I'm a fighter. Now I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm calling my congressman. I'm making. I'm doing everything I can. But if we could get America to understand, don't wait. Don't wait till it happens to you. Don't wait till it happens to your daughter or your your your, your mother. Don't don't wait. Let's let's get involved now. This justice system is broke, and until Correct. America says enough is enough, and we pull together. And we let the, our leadership know that uh, we're fed up with it. Absolutely. People, our our our, uh, the, the, our, our officers and our, our judicial system, all these these people in position need to be held accountable for the injustice that is happening to our people today. Yeah, absolutely. Eric, tell the folks mm-hmm. a little bit more. What drove you to get involved with what you're doing? What what you know? Did you wake up out of a a long night's sleep and had a dream uh, like the Christmas Carol and said, I will make a difference. And <laughs> I <line."> wish. <laughs> <laughs> what got you into it and, and that brought the passion that you have to, to impact this nation? Well, actually, I think it's been there for a while. I've been on both sides of fences. I've been incarcerated, but I've also worked in the criminal justice system as well. But when you've been incarcerated, you get a different view of um, – you know, what's really going on. Uh, You get the other side. And so I don't think uh, I've always, I don't think it's so much that I, you know, it's a new passion. It's already there. I think what happens is you have these Mike Brown situations. America has these Mike Brown situations. You have these Ferguson situations. And I don't think America, when I say America as a whole, with any system, we don't care or we don't have an eye-opening experience until these incidents happen. And the problem is we haven't had enough Ferguson situations. That's why, you know, we can have these incidents and 30 days, 60 days later, you know, they washed over and we're on to the next one. I mean, what major incident are we, you know, must take place in America for America to see what's happening to people of color and the criminal justice system. I mean, it's crazy. No, it's it's, it's really an issue. It says here, Eric, you were actually, uh, I mean, your resume is, is absolutely outstanding. Uh says here that you were also, you were a political advisor, college professor, church administrator, uh, legal representative, and the youngest corrections officer ever employed by the city of St. Louis, Missouri. So you uh, actually, yeah. you walked the halls of these institutions. I, not only did I walk the halls of these institutions, but when I was incarcerated, I, some of the correction officers, I taught them in college. Actually, I was helping them with their homework while I was incarcerated. Oh, wow. <laughs> while they wow. were in college. Um, yeah. I got the job because um, I told the board there were people who, if, I told them that there's no credible white person in America can lead a prison reform if you are not familiar with four prison terms. And one of them is Cadillac. If 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 majority of the people who are locked up are people of color and you're leading a prison reform and you don't know what Cadillacing, kite, discombobulate, and dry snitching is, no right. one is going to listen to you. <laughs> so we have, <laughs> we have people who are running organizations who know nothing 
about what really is going on within those those facilities. And so they have no credibility among people who've been incarcerated. And so I think until you go and find out what's going on or investigate like your organization is doing and others are doing, you're going to have this disconnect between, especially between people who've been incarcerated, these agencies, the government, and people of color in the same situation. I mean, we, you know, it's a bad, America is bad, and we go help everybody else, but we won't help our own. Well, there you go. And, uh, you know, we, we were asked before, uh, who are the civil rights leaders of America? And I nominate Eric Mason uh, to become a civil rights leader in this uh, country. Uh, don't do that, cause you know we assassinate we assassinate all our civil rights leaders, and I'm not trying to hang I'm yeah. not trying to hang from a tree or be assassinated. No, I uh, I got you on that, but I think Eric, uh, though that was comical, we need people that are involved uh, uh, that are making a difference. And my statement was to the question was we don't have civil rights leaders in this country right now, other than at least publicly out there now. We have some civil rights uh, activists. We have people that care about the, the, the nation and the future of this country, such as yourself, such as the Just Cause. We have behind the scenes, on the down low, if you will, of advocates and civil rights leaders. But the people that will, who actually have the platform to have a voice won't speak. Correct. And that is tragic. And... Uh, you know, I don't care if you're talking about Al Sharpton. I don't care if you're talking about Jesse Jackson, whoever you want to talk about. Uh, we have no problem calling names on AJC Radio. And I'll tell you, uh, we have seen little, unless it's a high-profile case. I don't uh-huh. see Al Sharpton anywhere other than on MSC, NBC. Well, Doing I sh- think a lot of people have collectively and individually. Well, I think it has to be collectively because, you know, they ostracize the individual. But I think collectively they don't know they have the power. Just last year with the University of Missouri, uh, the Mizzou situation, where the football players said that we're going to stand up with the students. And, and the same day that they said that, the situation came to an end. Right. <laughs> so, oh, absolutely. So, you yeah. Know, now, just imagine if all these basketball players and football players, and, and I'm talking about the, the people of color who are mm. collectively, they making billions of dollars. If they stand up for one issue at a time, trust me, everything will change in America. It comes down to the economics. Oh, absolutely. And people do need to stand up. Cliff? Yeah, and I was going to say, Eric, you know, uh, with that statement, it goes back to where you, uh, what you stated about community. If the community does not get involved, if the community doesn't say, hey, we're here to stand for our own, just like the, those students at the college. They said, no, we're not going to let our uh, our players be basically accused of something or, or just, you know, uh, strung up and figure a speech for something that we are positive they did not do. Could you imagine if uh, one black community said, you know what, we're not going to put up with police brutality. We we will boycott. I mean, just like they did back in the day. And I, I know you say you don't want to be a, the new face of civil rights uh, activism in America. But if the community would come together and say, you know, we're going to boycott, we're, we're not going to buy from you. We're not going to uh, do the things that I mean, the black community on a whole across America 
there's billions and billions of dollars. I think it's up in uh, over a trillion dollars that black America provides to the economy. Well, and if we said, you know, the things that happen in these given communities that we are going to protest and boycott until something happens. And like you said, these, these uh, ball players, the entertainers, the musicians, if they use what they had, could you imagine if every black player in the NFL said until we get some type of cap on this police brutality, we're not going to play ball this season? Well, I guarantee you there would be there would be some indictments handed well, down. For people to do that, Eric, they have to be unselfish. That's true. Uh, America lives with the stigma. People are about themselves, unfortunately. Uh, right. But I'll tell you this, and this is what we have to put out here. These women that we talk about tonight – that's somebody's mother, somebody's exactly. sister. What if that was – and these athletes who rescue their parents, a lot of them come from very low-income families, very hard times. Right. Uh, they have to remember where you came from and that though you were in a position to help your mother, mm-hmm. what about the other mothers and the kids that can't get out? They won't make it to the NBA, won't make it to the NFL. Do we not need a system – that is for the people and not against the people. Eric, we're coming well, back. With think, Go ahead, Eric. I think Go we, as, as leaders, we come together and we empower individuals to do that and let them know that you do have the voice and the power, and we're standing with you, standing behind you and with you as you address these issues. Absolutely. And, uh, Eric, we're going to come back on the other side of this break. Uh, and we're going to get some more information about your organization. I know we had talked about some fundraising. We'd like to make all of our listeners aware of and how they can donate and all this good stuff. Uh, you know, folks, if you're going to put your money uh, where your mouth is, uh, this organization is doing some big things. Uh, we need you to get involved. Together we make a difference. Divided, there's no way we can begin to bring the change that's needed in America. We're coming right back on the other side of this break. Joining us tonight thus far Dr. Eric Mason, he's president and CEO of Prison Reform. Tonight we take a look into mothers being taken from the home to prison cells. Change has to come. We're coming right back here on AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. 
This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trial and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. Our final story tonight is about Mary Jones. She's in her 70s, but she just began a new life. She was released from prison this week after serving more than three decades behind bars for a crime she didn't commit. Ben Tracy has her story. I just knew in my spirit that it wasn't right. And I knew that God was going to open the doors, you know, in his time. 32 years ago, Mary Jones fell in love with a man named Mose Willis. Not knowing who he really was. He wasn't a good guy. No. Willis killed someone during a drug deal in an alley. Mary Jones drove him there. He forced you? Yes. At, gun At gunpoint, yes. And you felt like had you not driven that car, he would have killed you? Yes. In 1981, she was convicted of first-degree murder and given a life sentence. <laughs> but Mary Jones's case was reopened with help from Laura Donaldson and other law students at the University of Southern California. They argued Jones had been abused by her boyfriend and forced into the crime. On Monday, a judge ordered her released, and Jones's family released their joy. 
her daughter, Denitra, spoke outside the courthouse. I'm excited. We got a lot of Mother Days to catch up on that are unconfined. Okay, thank you. Today, she took her mom to the DMV to get an ID card. Mary Jones is now 74. In 32 years, what do you feel you missed? Well, I miss my grandbabies. I didn't get to hold them on my lap. I didn't get to see them crawl. So I missed all of that. I did. Behind bars, Jones started a Bible study and was known as Mother Mary. Former inmate Patricia Elder was there to welcome her when she was freed. You become like family. When you're there for all that many years with, with people, you know. What did you learn about yourself in 32 years in there? I learned patience. I would imagine you have to in that situation. Yes, you do. You have to hurry up and wait. She waited 11,875 days to be free. Ben Tracy, CBS News, Los Angeles. Wow. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen of America. AJC Radio. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt. Joining us tonight, uh, Eric, Dr. Eric Mason. And what you just heard was gut-wrenching. Seventy-four years old. She spent 30 or 76 years old, spent 32 years in prison. A mother, Eric, that we were talking about earlier. A mother, a grandmother. When you hear that, what does that do to you? Eric? Uh, I mean, I, w- I don't think I would know what to do if my mom, who's in her 70s, uh, was incarcerated even now or even at a younger age. Um, you know, it's gut-wrenching for whatever reason. No, I mean, no one wants their mom. It's bad enough for a male to be in the prison system. No one wants their mom, sister, or daughter in the prison system, especially when you falsely accused of a crime and you know that you're innocent. You are trying to convince everyone else that you're innocent and you know, no it's falling on deaf ears. Man, that's 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 hard. Wow. Thirty four years. And Dennis, Lisa, Cliff and, and we're gonna get into more discussion about this, uh, Eric, but I do want to respect your time tonight and for taking some moments to share. I'd like you to Give some closing remarks, if you would, in regards to your organization. We had talked last night about uh, some important things that are going on with your organization right now that you wanted to tell the American people about. Uh, This message goes all around the world uh, and the United States. So I give you the floor for your closing remarks. Well, I came on board as president of Prison Reform and Community Engagement uh, March the 1st of this year, which was the same day that our donation campaign kicked off. Within the last, uh, what, 50 days or so, we've raised nine point, I think as of today, almost $9.2 million in less than about 50 days. Uh, we have a goal of $9.3 million. Our campaign closes out next week, but I'm asking, uh, we about 100 or so short of reaching our goal. I'm asking everyone who's listening, I know you give. You give the church community and everybody else, your cousins, your friends, and Ray Ray Nim. But I'm asking you to go to www.prisonreform.us. Again, www.prisonreform.us. 
and make a donation. Anything you donate will be acceptable. It will be appreciated. And you also get to see some of the things that our organization has done and is doing. We have a conference coming up in St. Louis in July. The information is there. You can register for the conference. And we also have contact information. If you would like to contact us or any of our staff, uh, that information is listed on the website. Again, that's www.prisonreform.us. All right. And, Eric, thank you so much. And, Eric, I, I want to say this in front of all the our staff and the American people tonight, that you have an ally in AJC Radio and a Just Cause. I believe we can probably uh, look and have discussions about partnering with you uh, in future events dealing with what you do. This is what uh, the community is supposed to do. I totally agree. I don't like to be all over the place. I like to stay focused in a couple areas and let everyone else work in their areas, and I would love to partner with with your organization and I believe that that's what America needs. Okay, and we look forward to it, Eric. I'll be in touch with you offline as we join our forces together to change a nation that is in desperate need for change. Thank you so much for taking time tonight with us. And, uh, again, we look forward to talking to you, possibly bringing you back on another show. Uh, I think you got a lot to say, and America needs to hear it. But we will be in touch, and uh, uh, the best of luck to you in all your endeavors to come. Thank you, Lamont, and thank you to the rest of the hosts. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, I'd like to get the comments uh, from from our host real quick. We're going to be bringing on Christine Bunch, who has an extraordinary story. Uh, I told you at the top of the hour, I'm going to let her tell it. uh, As we address women being incarcerated and dealing with such injustices uh, that blows the mind. Dennis, your thoughts on that grandmother. 32 years she spent wrongfully convicted. And when you hear her talk, you don't hear bitterness. You hear a woman that says, I believed all the time that God would let me out. How do you have and maintain that type of resolve? And what are your thoughts when you hear that our system did this to a mother and a grandmother and the kids and the family that suffered without her for 32 years? It's, it's, uh, it's truly saddening. Uh, I think about who pays for this. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's jubilation to the family and truly uh, to AJC that, that, that she was released and that the family will have a time, you know, get some opportunity to spend uh, with their mother. And, and how much of an opportunity that is, I hope God truly grants her the years that, you know, kind of, sort of make up for the time, you know, that she spent in prison wrongfully convicted. But again, the biggest concern is now what do we do? Uh, now that we, we, we put somebody in prison for 34 years, took a mother away from her, ch- her children, now what? Now Do we what? just put her on the street? Where's the, where, where, where is the compensation? The compensation, not only the compensation, but somebody did something wrong. That's right. That means that, you know, you had a prosecutor out there pushing to put this lady in prison wrongfully. Now the state needs to do something to say, okay, we we made a mistake. Here's how we compensate. And not only that, we need to start looking at the way we put people in prison. Absolutely. Cliff? Yeah, you know, I echo what Dennis said. That is a situation that you can't even fathom it. Um, And then, you know, for for her to get out, get a chance to spend with her, her family, 
That's great, but there needs to be some accountability. The things that went wrong for, I mean, just at the beginning of that case, to you know, to know that she had been threatened, that she had been forced to do what she did. How does the prosecutor then say, "I want to put you in prison"? No. It, it is, it is those type of things that really, when you look at the American justice system, says. How broken does it have to get before yes, before somebody really does something to fix it? It it, it really leaves you speechless yeah. because this woman spent a lifetime, a lifetime, a lifetime behind bars, uh, and then you know, thank God for the for the um, judge, you know, for the judge and the and the people who came to say we need to revisit her case. We need to look at this. We need to fight for her. Um, I know she is eternally grateful, but. The the accountability factor is what needs to. If there's accountability, you don't have things like this happening. You if don't at the beginning to. of the case you tell the prosecutor, look, you put somebody in prison, you don't do it right, we're gonna lock you up. The American people there need to go. speak to say, the prosecutor first off, they have too much power. They should be held accountable. You put someone in prison, uh, and you know there was evidence. You know you did something wrong. You know they didn't commit a crime. You should go in for at least the amount of time that you tried to sentence them. That would divert a lot of these prosecutors going after these insane sentences as well as doing whatever it takes to get the conviction not to uphold justice. Yeah, there'll be a lot lot less wrongful convictions. Oh, yes, definitely. Absolutely. I I think that they just – the issues are just – they're unsurmountable, it seems like, at times. Because you listen to to the woman speaking and you listen to what they're saying – it's it's hard to even wrap your mind around it that this is happening to people that people are going through these things. I mean, you wouldn't believe it if you didn't see it for yourself. You just wouldn't be, you wouldn't believe that those kind of things would happen here in this country. And I think it's just sad. We yeah. should be beyond that. No, we should, and it, it speaks to the horrific. Uh, you know, people don't even know this is happening in America. Seventy again, you went into prison in your thirties and you left out in your seventies. Wow. Just think of that. And all the things you've missed. I look at all the stuff that I've done between 34 and now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I won't tell my age, but <laughs> at 34 and now, the things you miss, the, the moments, you can't get it back. You can't get it back. And uh, we'll be talking further about that. And our uh, extreme gratitude uh, to this young lady for uh, 76 years young and praying hopeful for some many more years ahead. Uh, right now, we are privileged uh, to bring on the, on the show tonight Christine Bunch, who has dealt with some injustices of her own. Um, I'm going to let her actually tell this story. You know, when I began to think about what she has endured, again, it's another jaw dropper. That are you serious? Are we in America? Where are we at? What is going on? <laughs> And a very special hello to you, Christine Bunch. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to share your story with America tonight and our listeners around the world. Uh, and I, I just, I'm going to give you the floor to introduce yourself. And my hat's off to you for your strength, for your courage to fight through what you have had to deal with. But again, I'm going to let you tell your story. Welcome to AJC Radio. Thank you. I'm privileged that you would have me on. My name is Christine Bunch, and in 1995, I lost my three-year-old son when my mother's home burnt down. 
They um, quickly decided that it was an arson. I was arrested and charged with murder and arson, even though there was no motive and circumstantial evidence. I felt like I wasn't going to be convicted. You're taught to believe that if you're innocent, it's all going to work out. That's not true. I was convicted and sentenced to 60 years, and I was pregnant with my second child when I was sent to prison. It took 17 long years to prove that it wasn't, it wasn't a criminal case at all. It was an accidental fire. And I went in at age 22. I came out at age 39 to a completely different world, a 16-year-old son who was very angry and dealing with my own issues over the injustice, um, discovering that they had falsified an ATF report to convict me and show that there was some kind of accelerant in my son's bedroom when, in truth, there was nothing in my son's bedroom. And I'm hoping that by sharing my story, we can create a trend and go back and look at arson cases because there is new evidence, new scientific methods to look at these cases. In the past, arson investigators didn't really have to have any sort of training. They were trained on the job by the man before them. And these days, things are more technical. And so I'm hoping that we see a surge in arson cases and we start to go back and review these cases and bring about some change. And Christine, I think the saddest part as I hear your story, 16 years. And see, for me, you could have gotten it right the first time. Exactly. See, this is what the problem is in this country. And you were pregnant. I can't imagine the horror of that. Being incarcerated, pregnant, and dealing with what you're it – is, it, it, it is mind-blowing that this happens in the United States of America. And the bottom line is, Christine, like you said, you telling your story perhaps will help other people say, wait a minute. Do we need to take a look. This was a mother not only in grief. You were grieving. How, yes. I, I got to ask you this question. How or what did you do to deal with this storm in your life of being accused when your son uh, died accidentally and to have to grieve that and also fight for your life? How did you manage that? I really believe that I shut the grief off and focused on getting out to my other son when I walked out, it was like it hit me all over again, and it had just happened, even though it had been years. So I do counseling every week, and that's one of the things that I deal with, the fact that I'm still grieving and still tearing myself up because I didn't get to visit his grave, and I didn't get to put flowers out there, and I didn't get to tell him every single day that I missed him. But at the same time, I'm also grieving the 16 years I lost with my other son because I didn't get to do everything I wanted to do with him. That is 
that is uncomprehended. Cliff, uh, Christine uh, is is uh, just like in the in the last. Um, you know, we heard the clip, and uh, I made a, count- a comment about accountability. Is anybody being held accountable for the way that your trial went? For the fact that the ATF falsified evidence? That you know. Uh, they testified using lies to get you convicted. Is there anybody being held accountable where um, you as a mother, as a grieving mother, you as a, uh, an exonerated person who spent years in prison, that you can say that the justice system at least came back and tried to correct what happened to you during your case? Is anybody being held accountable? No. There has been nothing done. No investigation. I um, come from a state. Indiana has no compensation. So the only recourse for me when I came out was to file civil suits against the fire investigators and the ATF chemist who one of, one of those three individuals falsified that document and presented it to my, to my jury. So that is the only option I have at this point. And I think the tragedy of that, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm sick to my stomach right now. And it is clear, Christine, your pain, your grief, this is, this is America? This is America. And my point is, why would you falsify reports on a, on a mother? Why? Unless you did something wrong from the beginning and you wanted to cover it up. That's the only explanation you can even remotely find. And the fact that the state of Indiana has no compensation is absolutely insane. It should be mandated that every state have compensation for those who go to prison wrongfully. Exactly. That's the bottom line. And, and Christine, how were you able to make it to get on your feet, to take care of yourself and all that? Um, it's been hard when... You first come out, you don't have, you know, anything on your record, but you also have this very huge gap in your work history. And um, I was lucky enough that I was incarcerated during the time that you could still get education. So I was able to get my associate's and bachelor's degree while I was inside. So I came out and I struggled a bit, but I got into a job and worked my way up and I continue to work every day and I mean I I've been out almost four years now and I finally have renter's history and a credit score but it's been hard and it's taken a lot of sweat and tears and well I'll tell you what who this is a this is a serious one here. I am so, let me say that I am so sorry for the injustice that you have suffered. Uh, people say that casually. I've seen that over the years in my life. Oh, I'm sorry for what you went through. When I tell you tonight, Christine, all of us here at AJC Radio to Just Cause, we give our sincere apologies for a system that failed and has done the things to you and to your life that they did. Please know I am so very sorry Uh, This is why we do what we do This is why this broadcast Is for hopefully To 
institute change across a nation that is sinking in injustice. This is the purpose of it. It says here that your conviction, it was not until March 2012 that the Indiana Court of Appeals held that you were entitled to a new trial. In August of that year, the Indiana Supreme Court upheld the Court of Appeals decision. You were released 24 days later, just before Christmas of that year. The prosecution decided to drop the charges and not to retry. Yes. Tell it was a, yeah. It was a long wait. And you come out and you feel like you don't know what's going to happen. Are they going to try to take you back? Are you going for another trial? What is the plan? And so when I walked out, that sword was hanging over my head. I had my son, who I'm trying to connect with, and his biggest fear is, are they going to take you back? You know, what's going to happen? Are they going to keep putting it in the papers? Are they going to keep putting it on the TV? What's what's going on? And I didn't have any answers, and it was it was one of the most stressful times of my life. I'm sure, and uh, I'll tell you, those moments of waiting, tell the folks, if you can, in that moment, Christine, when you knew, uh, when you walked out the front door of that county jail or wherever you walked out of, and it, you knew you, you put your foot on the ground of freedom, what were your feelings in that moment? I was so grateful, overwhelmed, humbled. It's there's no words to describe what it means to have people that stood up for me, that became my voice and helped me walk me out of there. They gave up their time. I mean, most of them worked for free and um those emotions hit you all at once, right in the gut. And there's also the fear because you don't know what to expect or what's changed or how you're going to fit in. Mm. I call that the collateral damage of injustice. And the fear factor is one of the main reasons. That, that, ladies and gentlemen of America, make no mistake about this. What you're hearing tonight on this program is not a Hollywood production. This is not a screenplay. This is not a movie that you can turn off in DVR. This is a real-life experience with Christine Bunch and countless thousands of many women just like her. The 74-year-old woman that you heard, I don't know if you heard it, Christine. I uh, did. 32 years. She said in a prison cell, and the way she coped, she started a Bible study to somehow keep the human side of her. When we talk about injustice, whether it's the IRP6, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Dave Zappolo, or whether it be Christine Bunch, or whether it be this one or that one, injustice continues to stand. And something's got to be done about it. Christine, we're going to come back on the other side of this break. Can you join us for a few more minutes as we have an opportunity that if people want to reach out, if they want to help you, they can do that. I'd like you to give some closing remarks to our listeners tonight. 
uh, right. of, of how they can help. We salute your courage tonight. Ladies and Thank gentlemen, you. AJ, you're welcome. AJC Radio, talking about a very serious topic that affects this nation. And we have opened the vault door and took a look inside. What did we find? Injustice. Mothers taken from homes to prison cells, many of them wrongfully convicted. Lady Justice, we need to find you. We're coming right back here on AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Today's profile features Cynthia Summer. In February 2002, 23-year-old Todd Summer, a Marine with no previous health problems, fell ill in San Diego, California, and died a few days later. The death certificate stated the cause of death was a heart attack. In 2003, the military tested some of Summer's tissues preserved from the autopsy and found fatal levels of arsenic in his body. Investigators believe that Cynthia Summer, Todd's wife, had poisoned him in order to collect more than $250,000 in insurance benefits and $1,900 per month in survivor benefits. Cynthia Summer was arrested in Florida in November 2005 and extradited to California in 2006. In January 2007, a jury convicted Summer of first-degree murder with the special circumstances of murder by poison and murder for financial gain, which made her eligible for a sentence of life without the possibility of parole. In November 2007, before Summer was sentenced, the same judge who presided over her trial vacated Cynthia's conviction and granted her a new trial. In April 2008, based on new lab tests, 
The prosecution asked the court to dismiss the charges against Summer, and she was released. Summer filed a $20 million lawsuit alleging a conspiracy to wrongfully prosecute her. The lawsuit was dismissed in December 2013. Summer sought compensation from the state of California, but that, too, was denied. This has been a profile of the wrongly convicted with AJC Radio. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. As we have had the opportunity to address a very serious issue, mothers being taken away in a moment by overzealous prosecutors, judges, you name it, injustice continues to loom large in America. We said it once, we'll say it again. The children who are affected is uncomprehendable. The story of Christine Bunch, who is with us tonight, has left a silence hovering over the studio here at AJC Radio. This is something that should not happen, that we should become outraged. And I'll tell you right now, Christine, thanks for being back with us. I'll tell you, you have a friend in AJC and a Just Cause organization. Whatever Thank we you. Can, whatever we can do to help you deal with this pain, this injustice, tonight we take the first steps in allowing your message to be shared with countless millions around the world. And we appreciate your courage, your fight, and your resiliency to make a difference. How can American, the American people, whoever wants to, help you? How can they reach you? Let the American people know. Um, I can be reached on Facebook, or I work for Northwestern University in Illinois, and you can reach me through the university. I work at the chaplain's office. I would love it if people reached out. It would be very welcoming. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, um, please reach out to Christine. We are going to have her information on the website uh, where our folks, uh, Christine, can go out there um, and know how to get a hold of you. And we will, uh, again, uh, your email at the university, is that sufficient to be posted out there? Yes, it is. Okay, and I'm going to be in touch with you, Christine, offline uh, to discuss some things there at Northwestern University. I can tell you, and I'd like you to give your closing thoughts to people out there that may feel like our situation in this country is hopeless. Say there's a mother in the situation that you were in or a sister fighting with this type of accusation. What would you say to them tonight in closing, perhaps, that would give them hope? I would tell them that if a situation like this arises, never, ever talk to law enforcement on your own. Always get an attorney. That's usually my parting shot to everyone. Get an attorney. Don't go in there on your own. You don't know what can happen in these situations. 
And for those that are already in the situation and they're fighting to get out, I would tell them, hold on. There are people, good, decent, wonderful, kind, caring people that are stepping up to be voices for those that can't be heard. And they will they will get their chance to be heard. And thank you for that. Dennis? Yeah, hey, Christine, I just wanted to say to you, uh, wow, I mean, what a story. Uh, it truly affected me. Uh, I, I'm truly, a, uh, injustice is just so painful. And then when you spoke about, uh, you know, how, how you had to deal with it, but I see that you continue to share your story and, and to volunteer. And I tell you, you have a story to share. And and I would I would really push you, share that story. Uh, if enough people hear that story, I truly believe you're going to get some uh advocates out of out of that again thank you thank you for everything that you're doing we appreciate you cliff yeah christine i just like to say that um you know we we commend you for uh like dennis said continue to tell your story because um obviously there are a lot of things that you're still dealing with grief dealing with uh your 16 year old son and how he is um just really processing all this and then having to deal with it yourself uh you got to be a very strong individual to be able to handle that and deal with it and then to be willing to go out and help others and share your story uh we appreciate it we thank you for uh for sharing your story with us tonight we really do appreciate it and, and wish you the best thank you lisa uh yes uh chris oh, would you? Christine. christine yes i'm sorry Christine, I just want to tell you how sorry I am for everything that you've had to go through. And uh, I can't even imagine the things that you must have felt and the time that you've lost with your children that they can never give back to you. No matter what, I mean, if they did, no, there's nothing they could do to take away the pain that you felt and to heal the, your heart from being ripped away from your children the way you were. And I just, I mean, my thoughts and my prayers will always be with you and anyone who's going through this type of situation because I think it's just awful for a mother to have to endure such a thing and you, your story was just it was just an inspiration hearing the way that you, you've stood and the, that you're going on and you're making it through it not everyone would be able to do that and I commend your strength and your perseverance in continuing on well, thank you all so much. I appreciate what you do, the fact that you're getting these stories out there and educating people. It needs to happen. And, uh, Christine, thank you so much for that. Again, you have a new friend, uh, I'm going to say family, here <laughs> at Just Calls and AJC Radio. That's true. And uh, if you need anything, please don't hesitate to contact us. Uh, again, we'll be in touch with you offline about some good things uh, there at the university where you're at, and we salute you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, who I believe to be a champion of justice and a role model, if you will, of how to make it through it in spite of the injustice. Christine, thank you. Have a pleasant, pleasant evening, and we will be in touch with you, okay? All right. You too. All right. Take care. Well, there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen of America, if you want to chime in on this show tonight, uh, a few comments before we get into our other segment, feel free to dial the number. That number is 347-838-8976. How did this show tonight affect you? As you sit in your home tonight, perhaps with little Johnny, little Susie tucked in and did not have to walk a road of this magnitude, 
sometimes you have to stop and hear the story to understand its pain. Tonight, our listeners have had an opportunity to do that. And uh, we salute Christine Bunch. We salute Dr. Eric Mason for doing some things that, again, bringing this story to light. And uh, uh, we have multiple situations here. I mean, this will leave you. I'll tell you what, you won't go home and forget this show with what we've heard here tonight. Uh, there was another story, young lady. Again, the women of incarceration, mothers being taken away. Here's another story. Gloria, it's fantastic to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on. Your story is just mesmerizes us at CNN. And I just wanted to ask you, that day you were first arrested, what was going through your mind knowing that you were innocent? I've heard there's a million different words to describe it, and there isn't a single word that actually describes what you think. Surrealistic is the most common term that you hear. For a moment, I actually thought I had lost my hearing, that he couldn't possibly have said what he said to me, which is that you're under arrest. And your mind just begins to walk it around in your brain, and you start thinking, this can't possibly be happening. There's nothing happening here that makes any sense. Because I'd been talking to them for quite a while. I certainly hadn't said anything incriminating. Just all of a sudden, he stood up and said, you're under arrest for murder, and you're going to go to the gas chamber. Now, Joyce Ride appeared in your life almost like an angel, it seems. How much did she change your case, but also just your outlook on this whole case, you know, for what was just a devastating period in your life? My outlook on my it's difficult to explain my outlook on my case, but one of the reasons that I'm here and that I, continue, that I do the work that I do is because people do not realize how common this is. There are thousands of people in the United States that are locked up for crimes that they did not commit. And people don't realize that. I definitely want to be sure that this does not happen to anyone else. They do not have to go through what I went through. And also, we have to reform our judicial system. We can't keep doing this to people. We can't keep destroying lives and then just continuing on as if it made no difference at all. Where the ports of DNA evidence has been, particularly for taking people off death row. I wonder if you could describe the day, that day you learned that you were going to finally be freed after all, all these years that were, that were stolen from I had actually known for a couple of days, but the institution, did, they wanted to keep it um, rather quiet because they didn't want a big crowd of reporters or anything else. And in the meantime, one of my very close friends died early that morning. So I was an emotional wreck anyhow, and I was racing back and forth between my job, the telephone, and everything else. I couldn't get a hold of people. It was crazy. And then all of a sudden, an officer said something to me that made it very clear that I was going to get out of the five o'clock count. Uh, The word flashed around the institution, and I do mean flashed. Everybody knew, and at five o'clock, when count cleared, my entire housing unit stayed to walk me to the gate. I walked across the yard to see my friend, and they all just followed me all the way to the gate. It was probably the most amazing experience that I've ever had in my life. And there you have it, uh, uh, Gloria. 
Killian, uh, the young lady who you heard speaking there, was on death row. Um, when you hear, it's hard to even express into words. When you hear that type, this is not 16 years, five this is, you are sitting on death row waiting to be executed for a crime you did not commit. Cliff, I'll tell you what, man, I, I am, I'm at a loss tonight on this type of insanity. It just, it shows you, I mean, it, it really exposes, because we know it's there, it exposes the culture of corruption in our justice system, and I mean, it is, this show just really leaves a bad taste in your mouth because you see how bad the justice system in America really is. Not how bad it can be, but how bad it really is. You're talking about people on death row spending 35 years in prison, uh, the prosecutor fabricating evidence to convict. This is the type of thing that says the, you know, there is no throw the baby out, out with the bat. This, the baby, the justice system of America, if you can use that as the, uh, uh, as the baby, is dead. It needs to be. It needs to be buried. It needs to be thrown out and reborn to something that works. This justice system does not work. You put people on death row, and imagine the amount of people who never got off, who actually were put to death That's right. and were innocent and cried out to the last minute. I'm innocent. I never committed this crime and still uh, went to their grave without being exonerated for a crime they never committed. It, it, uh, it shines a light on the culture of corruption in the justice system and how much we as the American people need to fight it to continue to say we won't stand for a justice system that is not for the people. It needs to be changed. It, it has to be fixed. There, there is no other way to go about it. It has to be fixed. I'll tell you what, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is this is one of those shows that uh, it, it's going to stay with me for a while. Um, injustice, 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 injustice. That's all we see. That's all we hear. This is uncomprehendable. Ladies and gentlemen, coming up on the other side of this break, what you didn't know about the IRP-6. We want to take a moment to thank Dr. Eric Mason, also Christine Bunch, and the entire American people and our listeners around the world for joining us tonight for this segment, Mothers from Home to Prison. Coming up, another act of injustice that is so and equally as bizarre, if not more, of the IRP-6. David Banks, Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Gary Walker, and to name the collateral damage of this injustice, the families of the IRP-6 who suffer every day as a result of this injustice. Coming up on the other side of this break, a very special edition and look at the corruption of what you didn't know about the IRP-6. We'll be right back. People are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us 
in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the IRP-6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to jail. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. Tonight we continue what you didn't know about the IRP-6. But tonight, part two of a local church, a church beyond reproach, a church led by Pastor Rose Banks, a church, the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, are the collateral damage of injustice. But what you didn't know is that we have found through our investigation, through facts not made up stories that 
The church and Pastor Rosebanks were the initial target. They were the underlining motive by the prosecution to attack a church, Colorado Springs Fellowship and Pastor Rosebanks, and ultimately six men, David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clint Stewart, and Gary Walker were victims of this scheme, if you will, and it was no less than that. And what you didn't know is unbelievable. Cliff, tell the people. Yes, as the, um, you know, er everything research and questions was being asked about, why does the U.S. Attorney's Office have 9,000 pages of Colorado Springs Fellowship bank records, Pastor Rose Banks' bank records, uh, several of the parishioners' bank records? When these questions began to be asked and uh, their spokesman, Mr. Deutschner, for the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office up in Denver, run by John Walsh, Mr. Deutschner was asked, is Colorado Springs Fellowship Church under investigation? On camera, in the paper, on the record, he said, no, Colorado Springs Fellowship is not under investigation. So then the question begs, why do you have 9,000 pages of church financial records with no subpoena from the grand jury, no subpoena from the IRS? There is no investigation by the IRS. There is no audit. But you have 9,000 pages of bank records for Colorado Springs Fellowship. But your answer is there that the church is not under investigation, has never been under investigation. So then why do you have those records? He, well, does, he doesn't have a comment for that question. Well, ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about this. The end of the day, what the prosecutor, what the FBI, what the IRS did was conspire. The three strongest areas of government in this country targeted a 71-year-old pastor who has been pastoring in Colorado Springs for 35 years. Not one shred of impropriety, not one shred of corruption, not one shred of anything questionable. A pillar in this community, what you didn't know is that churches now are the, at least the example and the poster child of this type of action. It's Colorado Springs Fellowship Church and Pastor Rose Banks. What is the problem? With this 70-year-old, 71-year-old woman teaching her parishioners to respect government, to believe that if you do the right thing, nothing negative will come to you. Then all of us actually woke up from that dream. It is very clear that the government of the United States will go to any lengths to destroy and to attack and to oppress. And the bottom line here is very clear. No one wants to stand up and fight. AJC, as just calls, we will stand up and fight. We will announce this corruption. We will speak on behalf and in defense of all churches, pastors, those above reproach who are doing the right thing. This isn't a mega church. This is a local community church that does great things, honors its veterans, remembers its seniors, gives hope to those that have lost hope. Why? Why is the question? Why? 
would you target a church? And when you didn't find what you thought you want to find or to create a crime, six men who are members of that church are done a huge injustice. Sitting in prison now going on four years. These are acts of injustice. This is unacceptable. We will continue to, uh, to bring to the attention of our leaders, our legislators, our government, that the actions of Judge Christine Aguayo, John Walsh, Matthew Kirsch, and every other purpose person and perpetrator of justice will be brought to justice as they sit back in their chairs every day and feel nothing for the destruction they have tried and attempted to put in the lives of the IRP6 and their families. Again, these men, patriots of America, patriots, when are we going to stand up? Go to change.org. Takes you less than probably 10 seconds. Sign the petition for justice that these men be returned to their families. Justice. 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 We're looking forward. Lisa, the perpetrators of justice, who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hartz, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Mullen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Richard Berger, I'm sorry, Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Satan Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that. Ladies and gentlemen, the IRP6, this could be your brother, your father, your grandfather, whoever. These are real men who are in prison for no unlawful reason. They didn't get there yesterday. They've sat there for years fighting for freedom and fighting for justice. Let me give you their names again. Who are the IRP6? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Gary Walker. We sent a plea out to the Department of Justice, to the President of the United States, to attorneys across this country, advocates for justice. Get a hold of a just cause. Call us today that justice might be returned and the confidence of our system can be, can be believed again. We need you to get involved. Again, change.org, search IRP6, sign the petition. Six men wrongfully languishing in a federal prison for a crime they did not commit. Dennis, your thoughts on the IRP6? Appalling. Uh, I, I mean, wow, it's not even words. I mean, these men are innocent. And they're they're in prison for trying to you know start up a business 
that would help, uh, you know, keep our America safe. And uh, what do you get for it? You get corrupt judges and prosecutors that have a motive. And all of a sudden you take a take valuable lives away. It's just appalling. Well, we will continue to fight. Folks, go to agencyradio.com. You can hear this program in its entirety. All the shows and all of our archives are there. Feel free to log into that. And again, go to that website at change.org. Cliff? Yes, I want to say thank you uh, to our guest tonight. We appreciate you guys taking a little time out of your evening to be with us, Dr. Eric Mason. We appreciate you. And Ms. Christine Bunch, we uh, thank you for your story and uh, how you have shared it with us and our listeners. I want to say thank you also to our production team. We have Captain Colin Dustin Jackson of K&D Productions helping out Ill Skills Girl in the control room to make sure that you hear what it is that we have to say. Also to our production support team, they give us accurate and up-to-date information so we can pass that on to you. And to the truth, we know you're out there. We appreciate it. And thank you for that, Cliff. Again, uh, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, tell your friends, family, everybody to sign, go to change.org and sign that petition. Uh, the RP6 men are who we are helping in this situation uh, that need justice, that need to be released, not yesterday, not last week. They should have never been there in the first place four years ago. We're asking now that justice be done. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us tonight. We'll see you next time here on AJC Radio as we bring the message of justice all around the world. Good night, America.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.